Section 5 of Stories from the Trenches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tommy Hersant, Carlsbad, California. Stories from the Trenches by Carlton Case. Section 5. When Ace Lufbury Bagged Number 13. Lieutenant Gervais Raoul Lufbre, an ace of the Lafayette Escadrille, has brought down his thirteenth enemy airplane. The German machine was first seen by Lufbre, who was scouting several hundred yards above him. By making a wide detour and climbing at a sharp angle, he maneuvered into a position above the enemy plane at an altitude of five thousand yards and directly over the trenches. The German pilot was killed by Lufbray's first shot, and the machine started to fall. The gunner in the German plane quickly returned the fire even as he was falling to his death. One of his bullets punctured the radiator and lodged in the carburetor of Lufbury's plane, and he was forced to descend. To a writer in the Philadelphia Public Ledger, Lufbury describes the type of young man America will need for her air fleet. He says, It will take the cream of the American youth between the ages of eighteen and twenty-six, to man America's thousands of airplanes, and the double cream of youth to qualify as chasers in the Republic's new aerial army. Intensive and scientific training must be given this cream of youth, upon which America's welfare in the air must rest. Experience has shown that for best results the fighting aviator should not be over twenty-six years old or under eighteen. The youth under eighteen has shown himself to be bold, but he lacks judgment. Men over twenty-six are too cautious. The best air fighters, especially a man handling a chaser, must be of perfect physique. He must have the coolest nerve and be of a temperament that longs for a fight. He must have a sense of absolute duty and fearlessness, the keenest sense of action and perfect sight to gain the absolute feel of his machine. He must be entirely familiar with aerial acrobatics. The latter frequently means life or death. Fighting 22,000 feet in the air produces a heavy strain on the heart. It is vital, therefore, that this organ show not the slightest evidence of weakness. Such weakness would decrease the aviator's fighting efficiency. The American boys who come over here for this work will be subject to rapid and frequent variations in altitude. It is a common occurrence to drive vertically from 6,000 to 10,000 feet with the motor pulling hard. Sharpness of vision is imperative. Otherwise, the enemy may escape or the aviator himself will be surprised or mistake a friendly machine for a hostile craft. The differences are often merely insignificant colors and details. 
America's aviators must be men who will be absolute masters of themselves under fire, thinking out their attacks as their fight progresses. Experience has shown that the chaser men should weigh under 180 pounds. Americans from the ranks of sport, youths who have played baseball, polo, football, or have shot and participated in other sports, will probably make the best chasers. Lufbury is a daring aviator, and has already been decorated with four military medals awarded for aerial bravery. His life has been full of adventure even before he thought of becoming an airman. Uh, the ledger says, Fifteen years ago the aviator, then seventeen years old, left his home in Wallingford, Connecticut, and set out to see the world. First he went to France, the land of his progenitors. He visited Paris, Marseille, Bourges, and other cities. Then he went to Africa. In Turkey he worked for some time in a restaurant. His plan was to visit a city, get a job that would keep him until he had seen what he desired, and then depart to a new field of adventure. In this manner he traveled through Europe, Africa, and South America. In 1906 he returned to his home in Connecticut. The following year he went to New Orleans, enlisted in the United States Army, and was sent to the Philippine Islands. Two years later, upon being mustered out, Lufbury visited Japan and China, exploring those countries thoroughly. Then he went to India, and worked as a ticket collector on a Bombay railroad. While engaged at this occupation, he kicked out of the railway station one of the most prominent citizens of Bombay. The latter had insisted that Lufbury say, Sir, to him. The aviator always did have a hot temper. Lufbury's next occupation, and the business to which he has remained attached ever since, was had at Saigon, Cochin, China, where he met Marc Purpa, a young French aviator who was giving flying exhibitions in Asia. He needed an assistant. Lufbury had never seen an airplane, but he applied for the job and got it. The two men gave exhibitions over the French provinces in Indochina. After one of these flights, the King of Cambodia was so pleased that he presented each aviator with a decoration that entitled him to a guard of honor on the streets of any town within the realm. Lufbray and Purp, now inseparable comrades, went to Paris to get a new airplane. War was declared, and Purp volunteered as an aviator. Lufbury, who was anxious to be with his friend, tried also to enlist, but was told that he must enter the Foreign Legion, as he was not a French citizen. Purp was shot to death during one of his wonderful air feats, and, wishing to avenge the death of his friend, Lufbury asked to be trained as an airplane pilot. His request was granted and in the summer of 1916 he went to the front as a member of the American Escadrille. It was on August 4 of that year that he brought down his third enemy plane. 
and soon afterward was decorated with the Military Medal and the French War Cross, with the following citation. Lufbre Raoul, sergeant with the Escadrille Number 124, a model of skill, sang-froid, and courage, has distinguished himself by numerous long-distance bombardments and by the daily combats which he delivers to enemy airplanes. On July 31, he attacked at short range a group of four German airplanes. He shot one of them down near our lines. On August 4, 1916, he succeeded in bringing down a second one. Two or more combats a day in the air came to be a common occurrence with Lufbury, and many times he returned to the base with his machine full of holes and his clothing cut by German bullets. When Lufbury heard of the death of Kiffin Rockwell, he ordered his gasoline tank refilled and soared into the sky in the hopes of avenging the death of his comrade, but no enemy machine was to be found. Of Lufbury's further exploits, the ledger says, During the bombardment of the Mauser factories on October 12, 1916, the intrepid aviator brought down a three-manned aviatic. This was counted as his fifth official victory, and gained him additional honors. It was during this raid that Norman Prince was mortally wounded. After the escadrille had moved to the Summa battlefield, Lufbury, on November 9 and 10, brought down two more German planes. These, however, fell too far within their own lines to be placed in his official credit. On December 27, 1916, he nearly lost his life in bringing down his sixth flyer of the enemy. Four bullets riddled the machine close to his body. For this victory, he received the Cross of the Legion of Honor. In March of this year, he was officially credited with bringing down his seventh German aircraft. The others have been sent hurtling to the earth at different times since then. Lufbury is a quiet, level-headed man. His particular friend in the Lafayette Escadrille of American Flyers is Sergeant Paul Pavelka, who also hails from Connecticut, and who has himself seen quite a bit of the world. Lufbury has his own special methods of attacking enemy airplanes. He is cool, cautious, and brave, and an exceptionally fine shot. When he was a soldier in the United States Army, he won and held the marksmanship medal of his regiment. He has been cited in Army orders twice since August 1916. Horse and Horse An anemic elderly woman, who looked as if she might have as much maternal affection as an incubator, sized up a broad-shouldered cockney, who was idly looking into a window on the Strand in London and in a rasping voice said to him my good man why aren't you in the trenches aren't you willing to do anything for your country turning around slowly 
He looked at her a second and replied contemptuously, "'Move on, you slacker. Where's your war-baby?' Why Tommy Joined the Church A Tommy Atkins pleaded exemption from church parade on the ground that he was an agnostic. The sergeant-major assumed an expression of innocent interest. Uh, "'Don't you believe in the Ten Commandments?' he mildly asked the bold freethinker. Uh, "'Not one, sir,' was the reply. "'What? Not the rule about keeping the Sabbath?' Uh, "'No, sir.' "'Oh, well, you're the very man I've been looking for to scrub out the canteen.'" End of Section 5 Reading by Tommy Hersant, Carlsbad, California